For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the works of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Hey, welcome. Uh, Glad you're tuning in. Grace Church, Norton Campus. I'm Dan. I'm one of the pastors and love the fact that you're connecting with us this weekend. Uh, If this is your first time, uh, or maybe you've never connected before, I'd love for you to contact. Let us know. Let us become familiar with those of you who are uh, connecting with us this way. We love the fact that you're joining us this way. If you don't have a church home, love for you to come here. Uh, we have services 8 o'clock in the morning, 9.30, 11 o'clock, and then 5.30 Sunday night. And so love for you to come be a part of that on Sundays here at Grace. Love to meet you. Come up and slug me in the arm. Tell me your name. Uh, we're in this series, Book of Ephesians. Grab a Bible and turn there. Now, some of you have been tracking with us in this series. Your Bible just kind of lays open there, right? Because you've been reading it. Right, chapter a day, chapter one on Monday, chapter two on Tuesday, three on Wednesday, and we've been doing that for the 13 weeks that we go through this book together. Uh, some of you are memorizing it. Hopefully, you're finding people to have discussions with about. Uh, if you haven't started that, why not start this week? On Monday, just read chapter one, Tuesday, and just do that for the duration of the series. Beautiful book about the canyon, the grand canyon of God's immeasurable grace and love for us. His incredible plan for the church. Written by a real guy who encountered the the, the radical grace of God, Paul, to a real group of people who encountered the revolutionary grace of God. And he's spelling out for them the first three chapters, all the things, the riches and the wealth and the blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings in Christ. And then what he's going to do is he's going to shift. We're going to begin doing this in a couple weeks. Chapter 4, he shifts from the blessings that we have in Christ to the behavior, the behavioral response because of who we are in Christ, because of what we have in Christ. He's going to end this whole book by saying that you're in a battle, but it's not who you think. And I want you to stand firm in that battle. Today, we literally are going to take a look at the next segment. Pastor Ethan and Pastor Aiden did a great job. Did a great job these last two weeks just taking us through uh, the, the prayer of Paul. Last week, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Aiden did a fabulous job teaching us through that. Today, I'm going to pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to go clear through chapter 3, verse 13. But I'd love if you had a big section. We're going to do our best to just make some observations to simplify it, distill it for you. But I'd love it if you just pray with me. Can we do that? Just, just pray with me. Because, God, I'm asking that you open up the truth of your word 
to our eyes so that we might grow, so that we might hear you, and so that you might change us. We're asking for transformation, not just information today, God. I pray for those watching, don't know all the needs, some don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray today that they would give their heart and life to Christ. Some do, and I pray that today would encourage and equip and edify those who are following Christ. God, teach us. We love you. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you ever watch Antique Roadshow? <laughs> I don't think about that. Uh, or, or maybe Pawn Stars. Uh, you know, it's where people kind of bring in just ordinary everyday things or maybe things that they had relegated to trash. And the people on the show, the host assesses whatever that item is. And I love it when you watch one of those shows and they bring in this old hunk of junk. And when the person looks at it, all of a sudden they're like, this is worth tons of money. I came across uh, uh, several of these stories. David Rose works at a garbage dump, did it for 15 years. One day he uncovered a treasure that was buried in the trash. He said, I've worked here for 15 years and I get to pull out whatever I like, mostly antiques. Out of the rubble, Rose, David Rose, recently pulled out this top hat and this cigar and a collection of letters. When he took it to BBC's Antiques Roadshow 2019 March, he learned that the items here in this picture used to be Prime Minister Winston Churchill's. A specialist valued his find that was in the trash at over $13,000. Man, that's trash that actually was a treasure. That is a treasure that is somehow hidden in the trash. Uh, I love this one. This lady, a woman, purchased what she thought was a fake diamond ring. She just thought it was glass. Fake diamond ring in London in the 1980s. She paid a mere, listen to this, $13 for the large ring. That's interesting. She wore it almost every day for 30 years. But in 2017, this woman, who in the article wished to remain anonymous, uh, she learned that the ring was actually not fake, but was actually 25 carat diamond. It was only early on in this year that she wanted to see if it had any value at all. It was a total surprise to her when the jeweler said, that looks like a diamond. And the ring was originally, at its original state, priced at over $400,000 and auctioned off at over $800,000. That is something that looked and she thought was very ordinary. That all of a sudden she found out was an extraordinary treasure. I think maybe my favorite might be this, this picture. Doesn't look like much. This picture, a woman in France was getting ready to sell her house, so she brought an auctioneer to appraise her belongings. The auctioneer quickly noticed this painting that she just had hanging in the kitchen over the place where her stove was. It turned out this painting, when the auctioneer looked at it, was from the 13th century, and the, it was a long-lost work of an artist from Florentine. The masterpiece, known as Christ Mocked, is a part of a series of paintings that depicts Jesus' crucifixion. The painting that she had hanging in her kitchen, just old painting, just old wall hanging, at the auction was priced and sold for, get this, 
million dollars. Four times the expected price. Don't you love it when people find treasure in the trash, when all of a sudden things that they think are just ordinary and I get tired of looking at that thing in the kitchen every day, all of a sudden it gets assessed and it's like what you thought was ordinary is actually extraordinary. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Paul is going to dig out of the trash for some of us and for others of us, he's going to reassess something that has become mundane in many of our lives, something that maybe some of us have thrown away in our lives and that's the church. Paul's talking about the church, and for many of us, maybe the church is easy to trash. Some just disregarded. Others kind of have a blase faire uh, kind of uh, attitude towards the church. Some relegate it to a decoration in their life. It's just part of what I do. But Paul is going to dig this treasure out of the trash. Statistics say this that our culture has a more and more. Uh, negative view of the church. Uh, the younger you are, maybe the more negative that view becomes. There are a lot of non-Christian people who do not any longer have a positive perception of the church. But even among those who would call themselves Christian, church attendance is down. Many people are saying this, post-pandemic, I can get all I need from podcasts online. Church hopping is up. When I get upset or don't like what some, something at the church that I'm attending, I just hop churches, hop campuses. The Jesus and me mentality is on the rise where people have the sentiment that all I need is Jesus and Jesus and me. The truth is, when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to chapter 3, verse 13, Paul digs this thing called the church out of what is, for many of us, the trash. Or he pulls this thing down uh, that has become mundane and ordinary, and he inspects it, and he reassesses it. And look what he says. He says, no, no, this isn't like, all oh, the church. But he says this thing called the church, verse 3, he says, you've heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you. That is, look at the word he used, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Verse 4, in reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ. He uses a word, this word mystery, circle that in your Bibles, mysterion, and it's not how we think about mystery. We think about unsolved murders. There's a mystery, a mystery novel, a mystery show. Uh, this is not, he, the mystery is a secret that is revealed. It is a revealed reality. God reveals something to Paul and it happens to be the church. And it's this object of God's extravagant extravagant investment that he invests the boundless riches of Christ into this thing called the church. And when you read, as you heard read at the beginning of this, that this thing called the church, look at this, I love this, his intent, that's God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold, that word means the many various colored wisdom of God should be known to the rulers. They're watching this thing play out. The authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this because chapter 3, which we're going to go back to chapter 2, but chapter 3, what Paul is saying is this thing that we yawn through is something that the heavenly realm is wowed by. 
that what we endure, church, is something they get excited about, that what we might invest in sparingly, God invested in extravagantly. What might feel boring and irrelevant to some of us is a virtual fireworks on display of God's wisdom in his work to bring glory to himself in the heavenlies. The church, the church, what Paul's going to do is, is this treasure that for many of us have gotten covered over in the trash, for many of us just hangs obscurely in our lives. Like, yeah, I go to church, and that's how we say it. And yet Paul says there's something else here. There's something Paul sees when he assesses this that many of us are missing. What is it? Three things and then several implications, and we're done. First is this. Look what he says. Therefore, circle the words in yellow, remember, don't forget, bring back to your mind, constantly remind yourself that formerly you, he's talking to Gentiles, or Paul's a Jew, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Many of the Jews would have said that outside, you know, those uncircumcised Philistines, right? Those uncircumcised Gentiles. By those who call themselves the circumcision, sign of the covenant, the Jewish people, like this was a sign that they were the chosen people of God. That which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, he's like pointing back. Remember who you were. Remember what life was like. You were separate from Christ. No relationship with Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. He's like, do not forget who you were, but now, aren't you glad that's in there? But now, the church is a but now group of people. The church is a but now in Jesus Christ. You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. As he assesses this thing, the church is not just a a piece of trash or some ordinary mundane part of my life, but it's an unlikely group of people gathered in Christ, but now in Christ. And they are a group of people who never forget what they have been saved out of. Listen to me. I've said this before, and I don't need to spend tons of time on this, but if you listen to me for any length of time, if you listen to us for any length of time, the church of Jesus is not a building. The church of Jesus is not a service. You aren't doing church by listening to this sermon. It's it's not simply an organization. The church of Jesus Christ is a gathering of the most unlikely, undeserving people who refuse to forget what they've been saved out of and who they are now in Christ. That's why he says, remember you were separate. Remember you were excluded. Remember you had no hope. Remember that you were helpless, that you could not help yourself. You could not save yourself. You could not include yourself. But now in Christ, the church is a group of but now in Christ people. But now in Christ, those of you who could not help yourself have been helped by God. But now in Christ, those of you who were separated and excluded are included and invited in. But now in Christ, those of you who had no hope in the world have hope because of Christ. That's what he's saying. It's like this, it's incredible. It's not a service. It's like, I liked church today. It's like this gathering of people who are a button out group of people who never forget, refuse to forget what they've been saved out of. Only those who 
are in Christ by virtue of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross are in the church of Jesus. So important, I tell you that. Not everyone in a church building is in the church of Jesus Christ. Not everybody in a church service is in the church of Jesus Christ. Only those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ are people who remember who they were but now in Christ. We have hope. But now in Christ, we've been helped where we couldn't help ourselves. Let me ask you a question. For those of you who are in Christ, do you remember life before Christ? There's something about remembering that and not forgetting that, that, that we are a pardoned people, that we have been saved by grace, Aiden taught us last week. That, 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 that all of us, who are in Christ that belong to the church are marked pardoned by God. <laughs> and Jesus was very intent. We just uh, celebrated uh, 9-11. Some of you are older and, and you know exactly where you're at. And there's all kinds of signs you see people put up. Never forget, right? Never forget. Everything changed that day. If you've been to an airport, you know everything changed that day. Well, Jesus in the Gospels has this, has this moment where he tells his followers, there's something I want you never to forget. When he took the cup and he, he gave it to his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, I want you to do this and I want you to continue this. And every time you break the bread and drink the cup, I want you never to forget what you've been saved out of. I want you to never forget my blood was shed for you. I want you to never forget that my body was given for you. For you. And that's how now you can, but now in Christ, have hope. But now in Christ, be helped because his body was broken, his blood was shed. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I think when the rulers in the heavenly realms see this, I think they're mesmerized by it. Luke 15 tells us that when one sinner comes to Christ, they throw a party. And when the church of Jesus Christ remembers who they were, before they were in Christ and knows who they are now in Christ, it makes grace amazing. It makes grace amazing. We just had our patio opening on Tuesday night, and uh, at the end of it, we just all kind of stood around on the court, the, the opportunity we had to stand in that beautiful space out here and sing Amazing Grace. You see, grace never stops being amazing with this unlikely group of people. I remember when I passed church I was at, uh, and I was leading, and uh, there was a particular business owner in town that was not a churched person, was not somebody who knew Christ. I had developed a friendship with him. A lot of people in town knew him. And I remember the day he gave his heart and life to Christ, that he recognized his need, and he prayed to receive Christ. It was a but now moment that who he was is not who he is in Christ. One of the saddest things to me was this. I remember telling some people uh, that I knew in town that were followers of Christ that my friend and this business owner had come to know Christ. And they said, we don't believe it. We'll believe it when we see it. And I thought to myself, somewhere along the way, these people forgot who they were before but now in Christ. You see, when I forget who I was but now for in Christ... All of a sudden, grace isn't so amazing. All of a sudden, I begin to think I deserve it. That's not the church. 
and I begin to cover the church with the trash of pride and it loses its luster and its brilliance. The church of Jesus, I think the angel's like, it's incredible. This group of people who were, but now in Christ are. I love that. Uh, not only that, but you see this, that the church of Jesus, as Paul says, is an unlikely group of people gathered in Christ who recognize the community that they're saved into. Can we talk about this for a second? Just spend a few minutes on this. Our Americanized version of Christianity has made this whole thing about being saved from my sin and then it's Jesus and me. It's a Jesus and me culture. I don't need the church, it's Jesus and me. Can I just tell you something? And, and Paul wouldn't even understood that. The guy who wrote more books than even like, I don't get that. The church doesn't save you, but you're saved into this community. We are not just saved from our sin, out of our life of sin, but we are saved into the community of God, the family of God. To miss this is to trash the treasure that God intended for the church. In Christ, we belong to a new community. Look what he says. He says, he himself is our peace. Made the two groups one, destroyed, we'll get there, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We'll talk about that. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, look at this, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body, the body of Christ, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. We got to stop and just make this observation. You need to know that in Christ, but now in Christ, I am no longer at war with God. Romans 5 says this, while we were enemies with God. Romans 8 says this, my sinful nature is hostile to God. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says that once I was alienated from God and I was an enemy in my mind because of my evil behavior. Here's the thing, maybe you've never heard this before. If I am not in Christ, I am at war with God. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who were near. I, I think this is interesting because it reminds me of something that regardless of whether I am blatantly rebellious or incredibly religious, I'm at war with God. Tim Keller says something, and, and just listen to it. It might cause you to scratch your mind. He says, this means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from God either by breaking his rules, rebellious, or by keeping all of them diligently, religious. Somehow to think God owes me because of my diligent religious devotion. It's a shocking message, he says. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. You can rebel against God by thinking that if I just keep all the rules, then God's going to owe me. I'm going to be okay. You see, if I'm not in Christ, I'm at war with God. You can be radically rebellious or radically religious and be at war with God. You're not at peace with God, and you can't make your peace with God. At the cross and at the cross of Jesus alone, God signed the peace treaty. God is the one who makes peace possible. Access to him is available. Look at this. I don't normally do this, but uh, this is a really, really simplified 
sketch of the temple that they would have been familiar with, the, the temple. And in the temple, there's several things that just are interesting in, in terms of this passage. There would have been this idea of where the priests were to go, and then the high priest could go, and there is a curtain right here that would have separated the holy of holies. What makes that interesting, you came and offered the sacrifice of atonement, but the only one who could go in there was the high priest. What's interesting, when Jesus died, listen to this, Matthew 27, verse 50 says, he cried in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. The moment Jesus died as the sacrifice for your sins and my sins, the veil in the temple separating, that separated a holy God from a sinful people was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. I just think that's interesting. It was God making access to him and relationship with him possible. I think the angels and the people and the rulers in the heavenly realms are looking at this like, you have to be kidding me. I, th I think they're blown away by the message of the gospel. Like, it's incredible. Like, in Christ, the, the veil was torn. We have access. We have, a relationship with God is available. But, but that's not all. No, he says, he, he is our peace. Made two groups one. He's talking about a specific thing to them. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, setting aside his flesh with his law and his commands and regulations. His purpose, read this out loud with me. His purpose, can't hear you. His purpose was what? To create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Go back. Not only was there a curtain that separated from the Holy of Holies, but there's all these walls. There's this place where the priests could go, then the, the, the men of Israel, then the women of Israel, and the children, then, then the court of the Gentiles. And there was literally a wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. And what Paul is talking about here is some of the deepest and most volatile lines of demarcation and division. It was the source of hostility, discrimination, prejudice, exclusion, and pride. For them, it was the Jew-Gentile polarization division. It was racial. It was religious. There was even gender division. For us, can we just be honest for a minute? For us, those lines are white and non-white. Republican and Democrat. American and non-American. Men and women. Young and old. Generation divides. Uh, let me just metal, vaccinated and unvaccinated, mask and no mask back in the day. Like we find just about anything to, to, to build a wall and, and, and it divides public school and private school, blue collar, white collar, brown stealers, right? Michigan, we find whatever. The lines of demarcation in our culture and society create conflict. They breed mistrust uh, they cultivate sarcasm. They lead to a lack of understanding and anger. And politicians, and you're going to hear this more and more and more, are going to promise a political solution. Sociologists are going to promise a social agenda solution. Educators are going to promise an educational solution. But the peace that our world is missing it's not found in politics, sociology, or even education. Those things are all 
good and well and fine. But what he's saying is it's found in a person. That person is Jesus. When Christ died, the veil was torn and the walls were smashed. He smashes the walls that pride builds. He smashes the comparison that we erect. Now in Christ, but now in Christ. Think about this. This treasure of the church I associate with. I appreciate and partner with people who outside of Christ I may never have gotten along with or had anything in common with. He smashed the wall. And now he's building something else. And in his community, there are no second-class citizens. He says this, I'm building a new temple. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow citizens, God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus, chief cornerstone. Because in him, the whole building, so he's talking about a building of people, like it's a, it's a metaphor, Join together, rise to become a temple in the Lord. He's like, there's a whole different temple thing going on that we are uniquely connected together. We are a community. The church of Jesus is a community uniquely fitted together in Christ and we have lives that are lined up on Christ. He's the cornerstone. Cornerstone was simply the stone that the rest of the building lined up on. And even though Paul's mixing metaphors all over the place in here, the point is that as citizens with God's people, as part of the community of but now in Christ people, we are uniquely connected to God, to each other, and this building that we belong to is lined up on Jesus. You know what that means? The church of Jesus Christ, their first allegiance is, is Jesus. The church, their first allegiance is Jesus. We're aligned with Jesus. We follow Jesus. We love Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We do what we do. We think what we think. We value what we value. And we participate in what we participate in, not because we're Americans, not because we're Republican or Democrat, not because we're Baptist, Presbyterian, Protestant, or Catholic, white, black, or Hispanic. But first and foremost, this community that he's putting together, we do what we do, think what we think, value what we value, and participate in what we participate in because we belong to the community whose life is lined up on Jesus. And as we together line our lives up on Jesus, this beautiful thing called the church begins to be seen. That might mean that collectively our lives look a little different. Our values might be a little different. That we'll not just go with the flow, but we'll follow our leader. And much you need to know that the church of Jesus Christ is an imperfect taste now of a perfect reality then. I, I love this, that we get to taste now in the church something that we're gonna experience for all of eternity. Revelation seven, I looked and there before me is a great multitude. No, no one could count how many there were, talking about around the throne of Jesus. But there was from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, Jesus. And they were wearing white robes, holding palm branches, and they were crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I love that. Every nation, every tribe, the things that divide us now, gone. I will tell you something, what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I will see, I will look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Powerful. Can I tell you something? 
that those of you who are listening, who maybe look like me, maybe you grew up in the demographic like me, I really think on that day, I said this to a, in a Bible study I was in recently, I think on that day we're going to look around the throne of Jesus and we're going to be in a minority. I, 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 I think for some of us that's a surprising concept. I, I think we're going to have a whole lot of African brothers and sisters there, a whole lot of Asian brothers and sisters. We're going to have uh, brothers and sisters there from countries like I didn't even know. In the underground church. You see, we're this community of people that he's putting together. He's building one new humanity. The walls are smashed. This treasure is we never forget we've been saved out of. And we're only going to begin treasuring the church when we realize you're saved into that community. But there's one more thing. It finishes by saying, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Church is an unlikely group of people gathered in Christ who recognize the purpose they're saved for. Where is God in the world today? I think his answer to that would be he lives inside of the church through the Spirit of God. Can you imagine the plan of God being hatched before the angels for the first Christmas? God in a body, God in a baby. Imagine the angels that first Christmas, like, whoa, wow. God showing up in a little baby in Bethlehem in the person of Jesus. Can you imagine as they look on to the, the unveiling of the mystery that Paul's talking about called the church, that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, now God is going to reside and live in his church being built together to be a temple? to point people to the gospel and to bring glory to God. We together become this physical, spiritual community that demonstrates, declares the gospel for the good of the world and the glory of God. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? When we begin to pull the church that Paul's talking about out of the trash, we see it is a treasure. It's a treasure because it's a group of people who were saved out of and they never forget that, but they're saved into and they so embrace this community where walls are smashed, where the ground is even at the cross and they live their lives with a keen understanding of what they've been saved for. That we have the opportunity to demonstrate and declare the gospel for the good of the world and the glory of God. And when we begin to treasure the church, I think there's some implications. Can I give you four? There's probably more. Can I give you four? No slide for them, but I think there's implications. When we begin to treasure the church, I think one of the implications is this, that we, the church, will engage the world with the gospel, with deep humility. I think we'll begin to engage the world with this, but now in Christ gospel, and I think we'll do it in deep humility because we understand the amazing grace of God that's available. But now in Christ, you see, when I really understand the treasure of what it means to but now be in Christ, it's a message that I want to share. But I want to share it with deep humility. I'm not going to yell at the world. I'm not going to, with a prideful stance, say, condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to do that. But he came to save the world. 
And I understand what we've been saved for, to declare the gospel, bring glory to God in the world. I think when I begin to treasure that, I, I realize I want others to know that. But now in Christ, you who were formerly this, have this. You can have access and relationship with God. You can have forgiveness of sin. And I think we'll do it in deep humility. Deep humility. I think there's another implication, and it's this. I think we in the church will interact with one another with an unusual unity. I think the church of Jesus Christ, when it begins to treasure what the church really is, that it is a group of people brought together by the blood of Christ where walls are smashed, we will interact with each other with an unusual unity a diversity that comes together to form a beautiful mosaic that points to Jesus. I, I think this, when we begin to treasure the church, pulled out of the trash, off the wall of the mundane in our lives, we will invest in the mission and vision of his church with an extraordinary generosity. It, it's not something I just go to. It's not a box I just check off. But I want to invest in what he invested in extravagantly. God so invested in the church that within the church are available all the boundless riches in Christ. And I think when I really begin to treasure the church, I realize that I don't want to just be an attender. I want to be a participant in a community of people. I don't want to just listen to talks, but I want to be a participant in this unique community of people brought together by Christ himself. I think when we really begin to treasure the church, we'll navigate through pain and problems with a whole new perspective. You see what Paul said in our passage today, I'm a prisoner for your sake, for the sake of the gospel. All of a sudden, when I really begin to treasure that the spirit of God lives inside of me, I realize that pain and problems that we're gonna encounter in this world become opportunities. Everything about Paul, he's chained two years in house arrest, Rome, and those two years, he writes four of the letters he writes, one of them being to the church at Ephesus. Uh, but while he's chained, he is an ambassador, we're going to find out, in chains, that he didn't focus on his problems and the inconvenience because it's really getting in the way of my life and all the things I want to accomplish. But Paul realizes something, that this community of believers that now exists as a temple that God is building where God lives, exists for the purpose of bringing glory to God and pointing people to Christ. And even his problems became a way to advance that message. I think when we begin to treasure the church, we will humbly engage our world with the gospel. We will uniquely enjoy an unusual unity as we interact with each other and even other churches and followers of Christ. We'll invest generously in the vision and mission of the church, not just monetarily. I'm talking time and energy, passion and personality and giftedness. We're going to learn all this. And we'll navigate a world full of pain and problems with a unique perspective. This world's not our home. Isn't it time to pull out of the trash the treasure of the church? Isn't it time to pull off the wall of the mundane, the extraordinary treasure called the church, the mystery that God unveils to Paul, this incredible 
beautiful treasure that displays the manifold, many-colored, various-layered wisdom of God in the heavenly realms. Father, I pray that you would help us to be able to see the incredible treasure. There are some people listening to me right now, and you might be one, who you are not but now in Christ. You have never said yes to Jesus. You can right there say, God, I believe you love me. And I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus, when he died, he died for me. They buried him and he rose again. And right now, listening to this sermon, I want to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Yes, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. Yes, Jesus, I'm surrendering my heart and life to you as Savior and Lord. Remember who you formerly were, but now in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Thank you so much for the treasure, the church of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.